Right, we're back again. This is Imagination Land, Friend to Friend, Episode 5. Episode 4 still hasn't been released because I've had a really, really lazy month, month and a half, whatever. Um, it's been one of those times where I just haven't been able to make myself be creative but hopefully this will spur me on um this is also the last day of winter be it seeing as daylight savings time starts in three or four hours so hopefully the lighter days the warmth will uh bring us back into more creative times currently Watford sits second in the championship uh six points above, above Swansea which is great nine wins out of ten haven't seen Watford on such a run of form in about six years, so that's really, really good. And uh, to top it all off, I've got my good friend Daniel Eastman here with me for the fifth episode of Friend to Friend in the End Times. Dan, it's really great to have you here. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this. It's uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Watertown, as I said on Instagram earlier is my favorite book i read this year i really enjoyed it when you showed me the manuscript last year it's just a really oh i'm not gonna get into it now because it's just great i can't wait to talk to you about it how's how's your weekend been dan well my weekend is amazing after such high praise your favorite book of the year i uh, wow i'm floored well my, my weekend's been good though how is yours yeah it's not bad and it's only march dan so uh <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm, ju- I'm just joking. It's, There's always time. It's a very good book, and I'm really, really excited to talk to you about it. So let, let's jump straight in, shall we? Yeah. Can you tell me about how the process of writing Watertown started? At uh, what point did you decide to write about your hometown? That's Watertown, New York. Did you always intend this to be a long-form book-length project, or did you write one piece and go from there? I think it was around 2016 when the lead singer of the Tragically Hip, Gord Downey, um, it was like revealed that he had terminal cancer. And I had a recollection of, I had a recollection of a lot of like memories growing up listening to the Tragically Hip in in Watertown and decided I wanted to write a, a film script, even though I've never done that before. Um, and my, my efforts were fruitless. And then I just sort of like gave it up for for a long time. And then during the pandemic, I I live in a place that had, I think we were averaging, you know, a few hundred cases a day. And Watertown, four hours away from me, uh, I live in Allentown right now in Pennsylvania. Watertown is about four and a half hours away. And they were averaging zero to eight cases uh, per day of COVID. And I thought, what a place to escape. So I took a drive and I spent a week up there and uh, kind of rekindled the old, just kind of walked around by myself, like walked by the rivers and the lakes that I was used to and kind of got the creative juices flowing. And that's when the book in its current iteration uh, took shape or began to take shape. I sort of laid the foundation within the following three weeks. And I think at the end of that three weeks, I wrote it as like a joke, like a goof on poetry. And I sent it over to Zach and Kevin and sort of developed it from there. Wonderful. Well, there's a lot there to touch on that I've got written down to get into later. So those are some uh, great jumping off points. But let's um, let's go even further back now. And you tell me about when you decided to start writing. Have you always had an interest in reading and writing stories for a long part of your life or did you fall into it during adulthood 
What what was it that drew you to the art form? And are there any particular authors or books that really resonated with you and uh, made you wanted to do just that? I think that it was more uh, it was more my friends who like I I never really was I would read here and there like when I was like a a youth, but it was like your 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 basic YA novels when I was like ten eleven. And then I sort of like fell out of it. I got into into running with the the uh, a more underserved crowd, if you will. And by the time I hit like my eleventh grade year, ended up with like a different circle of friends who were more uh, of literary and um, art house film types. And they they were in all of the like advanced English classes. And I had a couple of friends there who inspired me to get back into reading. And they were heavy into writing. Like they would they would write just in in their free time and it sort of inspired me to do that you asked like what drew me to the art form though was the fact that you didn't really need anything other than a pen or a keyboard to do it I was always more drawn to or visual art forms and you need money to create those when I was very young I wanted to do comic books I didn't have the art gene and if I was going to learn how to do art, you would need to take art classes. Movies, you would need to have a camera and you know take a, at least take like a film class and know how to use your camera. To write something, you just had to, you know, I mean, you, you needed a pen or, or something to like just make your words. But even someone who doesn't have an academic background can write something, you know. You don't have to be, you don't have to have an MFA to, to write a great story. You just have to have a story. For sure. There are so many great books written by people. Um, for example, Stephen Wells. Um, welfare. Welfare. There we go. I'm not going to edit this out. Stephen Wells' Welfare yeah. is, a, is a great example of a book written by someone who seemingly has no experience in the writing world outside of the experience that he's created for himself, uh, which is testament to exactly what you were saying and it's i like what you say about needing supplies and often a quite a technical knowledge of visual art to make things like comic books whereas you're you're right all you need are good ideas and the time and effort to put into to write a great story did you have you ever attempted any other art forms like visual art or music of any kind or did you settle on writing and decide just to enjoy the others as musicians like the tragically hip are um, quoted within the book have you ever attempted to make any any kind of music or things like that no i think uh, i think with music i'm always i've always known that this is not something that i would like to pursue but i'm happy just being a, a fan someone who just enjoys it the closest i got to any sort of visual art was in it was like 2014 2015 i wrote a a comic book script and then kind of hired on people who were capable of making the art and uh, that was a fun experience though because we i mean everything's more fun when it's collaborative at least in my opinion so being able to do cool shit with people am i allowed to swear yeah 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 fucking swear all you want mate all right all right i was like what kind of audience is james going for here yeah like i don't know i i think that's my goal for like the 2020s too is like I just want to do cool shit with my friends now. Like it was, it was such a, it was a fun experience, though at times stressful. Kind of wrangling all of the, all of the art in because I had like six different artists that I was working with. They were like segmented. It was like six or seven segmented stories that this comic book that I did was, and just trying to get it all in 
I didn't have like deadlines or anything, but I just wanted to get it done. But outside of that trivial bit of stress, collaborating with other people and like tailoring my writing to a specific art style as well was an incredible experience. So I, I think going forward, I would love to do like uh, other collaborative projects if it were to present itself. For sure. Did that um, script ever, you say that you wrangled six or seven artists to uh, make art for this? Did that see the light of day then? And uh, if so, if so what, what was it called? Um, I'd love to check it out. It was called The Face and the Hand. And I could, I'd be happy to send you a copy of it as well. Oh, that'd be excellent. So yeah, I've got, um, I got PDF and I think I still have some laying around somewhere like physical copies so i mean offline if you want to well yeah we'll chat about that that after that that'd be wonderful and just going off topic as well uh a little bit you seem to have a, at least some experience recently in writing scripts and in talking comics as well your story franchise man came out on misery tourism a couple of weeks ago was it a couple of weeks ago it was a couple of weeks ago yeah really fun story highly recommend that to anyone listening to this um just search for dan on the misery tourism site it'll be easy enough to find it's a it's a really fun little story let's move on and talk about your writing routine and your your life under pandemic conditions as we're discussing do you have a writing routine what does it look like are you more of a sporadic writer or do you have set time and place that you like to write what does your production method look like so my writing routine is uh, non-existent. I, I guess if I had to answer it in a dichotomous fashion, am I, you know, do I have a routine or am I more sporadic? I'd say I'd more, I'm more sporadic. I wish that I could be a routine person, but I think that for me, like having a day job, I no excuse. Lots of people write with day jobs. I've been... I don't know. Life under pandemic conditions has, has, been, um, has been good to me. I've been fortunate. And I have a I have a, a a great job like a day job in my in my real life, but I I do work a lot of hours. I'm you know I generally do like a, a seven a.m. till six p.m. day. I usually will I'll write something in my notes app on my phone, or I'll shoot off some ideas to like Kevin or Zach or someone like that, and just kind of share some, or Cat Giordano, and we'll like just kind of share things on like DMs for fun, and. If I can build onto something like that, that's that's just started out of goofing off, then I'll do that. But there's no like sit down and write. I spend the majority of a day looking at a screen, so it's it's hard to look at a screen more in my free time. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. That's a that's a actually a really fun way to look at and and do that. And we we've been doing that a little bit back and forth where we can. Yeah, and I think I on a personal note, I th- now that I've heard about your method i think we should we should do that much more because um you are one of the first people i go to when i have an idea and sometimes it can be difficult for newer writers to reach out to people in a wider community when there's a uh, only a bulb of an idea they don't they don't want to reach out and say hey is there something in this and then something to someone who's got three books published and have them say hey this sucks you know um there's a there's a little ego element there so the fact that you have a core group of people, you, Zach, Kevin, who you've already worked on a book together with, and uh, Kat, whose book, The Fountain, is another one of my favorite books this year, is, uh, is a really fun little idea. I like that. 
So you um, take the call, you send it to them, what they give you a little bit of feedback, you go right on your phone on your next lunch break, send it back, and then just whittle it down like that, that kind of deal? No, I I think uh, most of my friends are pretty supportive. And I try to, if if the person that I send it to says, hey, this is great, and I'm passionate enough about it, I'll pursue it. If someone actively like adds on to it, then like it sort of revs me up to also get into writing and, and building onto it. Again, it's that desire for collaboration and maybe that's an effect of the pandemic like i just i think i desire socialization so to be able to do that through art is is also a a privilege i don't think that it's just been a lot of like small pieces and a lot of them don't get submitted so i i I just sort of i'm writing is a fun thing for me if i'm not having fun doing it then i don't know if i can actually like follow through with it i sent kevin like a two-page thing recently and he highlighted some things that he thought were, were good in it but it was just too cynical I think for for what I want to um where I want to be in my life right now like I don't really have any cynicism about the world and maybe that's um maybe that's a sign of depression where I'm like repressing something but um if you feel happy then you must be happy right so <laughs> that's that's nice that's the sorry i didn't mean to cut you no off, you're good that's a that's a nice worldview that i i enjoy that yeah lovely how has the pandemic been for your life in general has it affected your your day job has it affected your hometown life in allentown uh here in the uk we've been in and out of quarantine pretty much since uh october november apart from like a couple of weeks off in december and we've still got another about three weeks of quarantine the the pubs don't fully open until something like june so we're we're still in it and in it for the long haul what's it what's it looking out like out there you guys are uh you guys are really strict over there then yeah we're we're in mega lockdown like the police fully enforce it uh here as well it's uh it's weird it's really weird i'd have i'd have gotten tased or something a long time ago like <laughs> shot with like a beanbag <laughs> Uh, I can't like I get I live in a I live in like a shoebox apartment I can't I can't be in my house that long I have to go outside so even like even in the winter when we we were getting like three feet of snow this winter and which is like nothing to me but my wife is like fuck that I'm not going outside it's freezing out I'm like no I'm going out I'm going for a walk I'm gonna go walk through the snow where I have to like lift my knees up to my chest just to take a step but I agree with your wife fuck that (laughs) that's that's the uh that's the upstate New Yorker in me I'm I I think it's just it's in my blood I have to I have to go outside so I don't think I could do well with a lockdown the pandemic itself the effect on my life is uh I think I've done okay I I actually um I've, I've gotten a promotion in my day job which is phenomenal um I've seen, well done. I think when, so I, I have a weird sort of personality. I, I, when stressful situations occur, I tend to react with optimism, I guess, where like, everyone's like, holy shit, the house is on fire. And I'm like, okay, yes, we'll assess the situation. Let's get out of the house first. And then, you know what we're going to do? We're going to get the fire put out and we're going to see a way forward after that. But we're all still alive, and we have a way to add value to the situation. We just have to think it over first. Um, and I think that you know everyone, everyone in my company going remote. I'm not gonna. I don't 
want to say the name of my company or talk about them. I wasn't going to ask you to. But I, I almost did. I almost said it. And, and I was like, uh, everyone going remote. I mean, that that's a stressful situation. And it's new for everyone. And I just, I feel like I thrived under that. And um, I'm not, I'm actually not sure what the end of the pandemic is going to look like for me, but I, I hope that I can just ride this wave and keep it going. You sound like someone that's hella responsible. So fair play to you. I am. Um... I just, I got very lucky in that. I got a job just as I was at the point where I knew I was going to have to quit a job because we've been working remotely for the last six months and I just, I just can't do it. I can't work remotely and it's not that I don't like working remotely, it's that I was working in an industry and in a role that was basically felt like meaningless numbers on a page every single day mm-hmm. and i'm someone with a social science degree so my mindset is i write up a draft similar to my writing style i write up a draft if it's if there are what's all in there the first time and it comes back to me and i have to redo it well that's part of the process unfortunately in um big time finance companies where they want their spreadsheets done and they want uh, they want productivity high, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The kind of work they're asking for is right, right first time every time, and I'm just, I'm just not that guy. And it, and you say you respond very well to, uh, to pressure and potential disaster. I, I'm the opposite. I, if I, if I make a mistake on a piece of work and it gets pointed out, and I make that mistake again the next day. It's just going to keep happening, not because I'm not not listening to the uh, to the mistake issue. Is there's I don't know. There's something that misfires in my brain that just makes me freak the fuck out. So I would much rather be in a in in your position there, work wise, where uh, you can stand tall in the face of adversity. That sounds like a uh, a really decent place to be in your career and congratulations on the promotion so fair play to you well thank you i i dread when when things are relaxed like this past week i hope no one from my job hears this like this this past week was like everything was totally fine at work and i was like i guess i'll just like kill half a day on my phone (laughs) and then i realized like oh i'm doing it like this is this is what happens when the stress goes off i totally lose focus so i i yeah, I don't know. I think I I should have been like a machine gunner somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, there there might still be time. So yeah, keep keep an eye yeah. out for that. You could yeah. there's probably vacancies going. Yeah, every day when they need more boots on the ground. <laughs> uh, there's a war going on in Watertown, and you're the only one that can save them. That's right. Come on, Kyle. Let's hop in the pickup. We're gonna we're gonna save this county. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so so let, let's head back yeah. to uh to to watertown the first part of this question i i think we'd already covered earlier you were saying that you had the idea for the script back in 2016 and then when the pandemic hit you uh decided to take a trip back to watertown and that's when the the book really took shape can you tell me more about the steps involved in polishing up the manuscript and making it ready for publication and more specifically, how did um, Zach and Kevin get involved through Back Patio Press? Did you approach them? Did you already know them through other work? 
And if so, how, how did your how did your friendship and professional relationship start? I knew I knew Kevin through just sending in like submissions to to Back Patio that I, I had sent in a couple of pieces there and one to Soft Cartel pieces that inevitably ended or ultimately ended up in in Watertown after after a little bit of editing and tailoring them to um, the overall fabric of the of the book itself. But I sent it to I actually sent it to Zach's email, um, like the Word doc. And I think in the body of the original email, I just said poems, LOL. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> like I, I wrote, I, so I wrote the original thing as like a goof on poetry. Cause I don't know any, I, I really don't know anything about poetry. Like I, my poetry background is like, I read the drunks growing, like when I was a teenager, you know, the, uh, your, your Bukowskis and, um, your, your beat guys. And that was that was basically it. I've read some like Richard Brodigan and some uh, like Ted Kuzer poems, but I don't. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't follow a lot of a lot of poets. Cat. I mean, Cat, Zach, and like Sam Pink and Joey Grantham are the sort of um, the indie lit poets that I've that I've found within the past couple of years and sort of inspired me to get on that. A little bit, but this uh, the original draft that I sent over to Zach. I think it was like I don't I don't remember how many pages it was. It, it was like poems, lol, possible chat book question mark, and <laughs> and then he he responded like it was clear that I wrote it as like a goof, but he responded saying actually if you can uh, tighten this up a little bit, it might be something that would be publishable as a collection. And then I was like, oh shit, really? To answer your question, that's how Back Patio Press got involved. Uh, I had. I sent it to Kevin as well, and you know they they both agreed on that. And this was, I think, in I want to say August uh, of last year. And I have a, a close friend, Kevin, from back in Watertown, who's one of the people I told you about that sort of inspired me to get on with uh, you know reading and pursuing writing. And he he had read some of the pieces that I submitted to Back Patio uh, as I posted them online through social media and. And he was like, yeah, these are good, but they kind of feel like they should be part of something bigger. And when Zach had suggested flesh this out and tighten it up a bit, we can turn it into a collection. I was like, that's where those things need to go into here because they were sort of just inspired by that like northern New York, upstate New York uh, feeling that I had. So that's kind of it. Nice. Nice. That's, uh, that's really interesting. And I read an earlier version of the manuscript. Uh, I think it was just after you told me that Zach and Kevin had accepted it. And I loved it at the time. But the new review copy that's been sent out, which is just the the book in, in general, mm-hmm. um, was even sharper and more refined than even that version was before. Uh, what have Zach and Kevin added to this book in terms of working with you to help you reach your creative vision they're both extremely accomplished art artists in their own right their insight must have been a real boost um did did they help you a lot with editing and if so if so how i love both those dudes they are incredible uh kevin's an incredible artist both a visual artist and a and a writer Zach's an incredible writer, and the stuff that he does with typographical work is phenomenal. Like he made he made this look like a book, and respect. But as far as like suggestions go, I mean Zach 
Zach definitely went through like line by line and uh, of that original draft that you read, Zach had gone through and, and done some like line suggestions uh, and said, you know, whatever, whatever you want to leave, leave, you know, th- these are just suggestions. Some of them I took, some of them uh, I was like, some of them I, I just, I was just like, I got to leave this one in. It's cause I love it and I can't kill that darling. Uh, <laughs> so I, I was like, yeah, this is, this is it. And then a lot of, um, like, like I said, that was in August that I sent the original draft over. So that's like probably six or seven months that I was, cause I, I turned in the final one, I think in January. So it, it had been several months that I was just sort of like, delete this poem, delete that poem. Here's something to add in here. I can add something here, tighten up lines. It was just a lot of little details that just needed to be fixed and tightened up. I think it was just that kind of seeing a, a bigger picture out of it and rearranging the poems too. Like I think the draft that you originally read, there was no real order to it. Like I just, it was literally like I had thrown poems into a word doc and had not expected them to go anywhere. And then I had to kind of make them into something that people would actually read and enjoy. I did notice that on my second read through this morning, it did feel much more structured on this this read through. And I particularly enjoyed how the first poem and the last poem was you introducing your wife to Watertown and telling her, oh, this is this is the good bit. And from the point of view of the book, it's, it's pretty shitty no matter what your nostalgia tinted eyes say and then at the end it, it just ends with her saying meh I, I, I don't see it like I, I really enjoyed the the journey uh, that it took to get from A to B there that was um that was a lot of fun let's talk about the the content of the book now that we're onto it on this read through I noticed that the book well it really lays bare like the the dirty underbelly of living in a small town and it is packed full of quiet stories exploring themes like resentful nostalgia inside unhappy middle-aged adults reminiscing about the times when their unfulfilled potential was just regular old potential or teenagers goofing off because they can't imagine what it would mean to dream bigger and there's even a poem with a couple of closeted dudes unable to express themselves properly in a place that won't accept them and uh in a lot of ways this book feels like a book about old school masculinity and the lethargic misery that that comes with it um hidden beneath all the bravado that comes with masculinity and a lot of the characters feel they could be ripped straight out of the uh early 90s springfield in uh the simpsons or a Raymond Raymond Carver book is the is that something that you you thought about much while you were writing these poems or did did that just come organically? There are just so many in this book. There are just so many dudes who are down bad, like the the uh, the dad buying a timeshare and he accidentally hurts his son. Or I mean, I, I guess I've always like I'm a 34 year old dude in America or or I mean in, in the world. I'm sort of, I guess I gravitate toward broken men, stories of, of broken men. I, I guess, I don't know, I, I think it's okay to, to have stories of of broken people. It wasn't intentional to, I, I, I have, I've read a lot of Raymond Carver. 
I wasn't Carver wasn't really in like I I wouldn't have thought that there'd be a Raymond Carver comparison. I am absolutely flattered. And when when you made that comparison, I was like, oh man, my head is going to detach from my body <laughs> and fly off into you know over Pennsylvania now. It's been a while since I've read Carver, but um, the timeshare story. There's a book of short stories that I've got on the shelf. Of, oh, will you please be quiet, please? In uh, yeah. in that there's a there's a story about a dad who tries to no, yeah I think I think it's a story about a kid who goes fishing, and he he comes home with the fish to find his his mum and his dad fighting, and it goes goes through the whole process the kid had to go through to to get the fish in like painstaking detail, and then he gets back and he it feels like he's going to be so proud of the fish because he's trying to please his dad. And his dad basically just tells him to to fuck off because he's in such an awful mood. And the uh, the whole the the story about the dad taking the kid to Disneyland and it it just not working out just really um it from your book really uh, resonated with me as as quite similar. And um, a lot of the a lot of the other poems in there ticked very similar boxes to the short fiction. From will you please be quiet, please, and and the stories in your book in a very similar vibe. So you might not have done it intentionally, but that's that's how it read to me at least. Well, thank you. I I think that it's probably also a testament to the fact that the America that Carver was writing about hasn't really changed much. Uh, in fact, it's maybe gotten a bit worse. And if we're we're all still pulling from that, and that that might explain the uh, similarities too. For sure, and I, I think something that I didn't didn't really pick up as well. The America that Raymond Carver was writing about came before this mass wave of information technology and social media, etc., laid it bare for everyone to see. So it, it, at that time, when you read those books, it really does feel like the seedy grimy scummy underbelly that no one's doing anything about not for not necessarily for lack of want in Raymond Carver's work I don't feel like the characters don't want to be better either they don't understand that they can or they don't know how but more that I think more that they don't understand that they can and um, I I think a, a lot of that is is the same with with your book feels like a lot of the characters in your work really don't know that there's there's another way that they can be apart from the shitty small town version of themselves that they know which i i found really really tugged up my heartstrings damn thank you man i appreciate that yeah i i, I think okay i wanted to like bridge or or sort of straddle a line where like on one side you have sort of a, a lamenting of of the way that things are and also you know that you know, acceptance of like th- this is the way things are but it's not actually that bad. It is just a place. Like it's 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 literally a place on a map, and it's not. I think it's just the people that. Um, it, it's a state of mind that you think the the town is bad, and uh, I think that's where the nostalgia for me comes into play. Like I spent so much time hating a place, and I can't decide if it's the nostalgia. That like I oh obviously things were better then, just because I'm not there anymore, or if it's literally just who I was like I I was a miserable person who thought that getting out of Watertown was going to make me better, but no you're just going to be a miserable person in a different place. I I at this point now I could feel 
I think I could be a content anywhere in the world because contentness originates from from me. It has nothing to do with a place on the map. But I think that's a lot of a lot of people that I know in in small towns like that. I, especially during the time when I was growing up, they thought that you know getting out was going to you know cure their 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 depressions and miseries and stuff. Like no, you that's just work. Like you just have to that you're you're gonna have that no matter what. A geographical change isn't always going to be the uh, the cure for your problems, but at the same time, Watertown and places like it are economically bereft of any opportunity. So if you, you know, if you were to leave, then you're gonna have you know obviously like your your quality of life is going to go up. I don't think that I would be as happy as I am right now if I had stayed in Watertown. Just it's an impossibility. There's no there's no job that is going to be as good to me as as the place that I am at right now. There's no living situation that's going to be as good to me as where I'm at now. So it's tough. It's a tough thing to grapple with. And I think that's sort of what I was struggling with in the book. Um, but mostly I was just having fun too. Like I just, <laughs> I had fun writing it. Good. And you can, you, you can feel in the, uh, in the way that the book is represented that a lot of love went into it so yeah that's really good and actually and the- james i'm i'm sorry if i didn't answer your if i took a meandering roundabout way to dodge your question about raymond carver i do apologize i'm not that smart it, it's okay like i i studied international relations not not english so i'm i'm just bullshitting with this, po- this podcast anyway it's all good so thought that popped into my head that i went with and that's how how these interviews go. Yeah, I've long since uh, accepted the fact that the people I speak to on this podcast could well be smarter than me. Uh, I've spoken to a couple of people with PhDs already who definitely were. So if you're in league with them, so be it. But this... um, (laughs) So so this brings me um, actually quite nicely onto my next comment, what you were just saying about the state of mind and... Uh, your quality of life, etc. Is Watertown, as in the book, a work of autofiction? If it's not a complete work of autofiction, um, is there autofiction in there? And if so, how how did you blur the line between um, experience and fiction? Let me answer your question with a qualifying question. Sure. When you say autofiction, um, is that fiction that is a direct reflection of things that have explicitly happened to me? Yes, or maybe we'll we'll open it up a little bit. People you know as well, or anecdotes you've heard, etc. Is it is this the kind of kind of book where you've uh, taken influence from from friends of friends or from acquaintances and rumors, etc. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, some of the some of the some of the things, some of the events in the book have have uh, happened to me. Some have not. Some are like local rumor. Some are embellishments of you know people that like just embellishments of things that have happened to people that I know. So I kind of had to like make up. You mentioned the the um, story it was racing against ghosts. The two guys. Um, I definitely know a a person who was chased by a local athlete and his um, friends, and they had like 
when when the car stopped they were like shoving the car it, it was actually more action-packed than the story was i think i like mundane in my stories um and the in the lack of action but i i guess in the in the real event like these um like you know it's high school and these guys like they pulled up and were just like slamming their bodies into the car so much that it shook and like rocking the car just to scare the shit out of these guys and you know they were they were i guess drunk or something and they eventually took off but they wanted to put the fear into these um into these guys and i based the story off of off of that um you know you have I explicitly would go through and and put things in into poems like and this never really happened like lines like that to I guess like intentionally raise that question I had a fairly nice childhood I think like we weren't like rich or anything like that but um we were fine I didn't want for anything I I ate food that was decent for the most part so some of the stuff is certainly uh, embellished and you know it's like even the stuff that happened to me like I, you had I like dialed it up a little bit or created composites of of various people or you know added in details like that maybe were inspired by others and you know it's it's fiction so we can we can do that damn yeah I can see that that's a really sad story about two guys in the car the uh that story in particular well, not that, not just that story in particular, but that that was a sad one. There's there's a lot of sadness in this book. That um, yeah, it's there's just a lot of sadness in this book for someone that's so happy. It's uh, or that that's so content with life. It's it's amazing that you managed to pull from such a deep well of sadness to put it in your book. Really, really touched a nerve with me. Now would be a good time to actually transition onto your influences can we talk about the books and authors that inspired this book and your writing of it either from you know from when you were reading when you were younger that stuck with you or from what you were reading through the writing process uh, you mentioned the the work of Cav and um, Zach and Sam Pink and Kat etc and the the drunk poets was there was there anything else in particular that was um really sticking with you while you were writing this i i think that i was probably primarily influenced by you know people like joey grantham zach uh jacques mopope uh cavin and and cat because i had read them in the in the months and couple of years leading up to actually writing this I don't even know if I would consider the 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 drunk poets. I don't know. the The beats is too cool of a name for alcoholics, um, but I have such an eclectic taste in the in the literature that I read that that I I don't know if I could say that there's any standout um, authors that have like directly inspired me as a like in general. But um, for the writing of this book, it, it's probably a lot of indie lit authors, mostly because when I started reading books by the people that we mentioned, it was like a light bulb went off. Like, holy shit, you can do this through, like you go through life and it's like, Oh, it's, it's gotta be this uh, certain way of writing or, or you have to have a certain type of education around the art form before you can actually do it a certain way and do it well. But I think all of those, um, all of those writers do exceptionally well and they're, they're incredible writers. And, 
I don't think that they follow the um, traditional paths of poetry as far as like their like what their final product is. So that was really the um, the influence. You know, it kind of goes against the grain of what poetry should be, and it it, get, it has like a punk rock feel about it. And I think that's what really drove me to two places like Back Patio, South Cartel, Philosophical Idiot. For sure, for sure. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. There, there definitely is a uh, loosey goosey. Do it and see, see if it works. If it works, it works. Excellent. If if it doesn't, well, you can have an, another idea tomorrow. So, who gives a fuck? Like, uh, which is is really cool. I'm still at the stage where I'm too uptight to uh, take that truly to heart. I, uh, I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> no, man, you just gotta, you just gotta write. Yeah, you really do. You send me, ma- no, I'm, I, I'm not one of those like, oh, you just gotta write every day. You just do it. Just do it. I don't write every day. I was talking to my wife before I got on the podcast. I was like, I, I don't know if I write enough to be a writer, but if, if I'm having fun with it, I'll just do it. If you get an idea that you're having fun with and and you feel like is good, just like you don't have to feel like stuffy about it is what I'm saying. Like just feel as if you are writing messages to friends because that's essentially what you're doing. You know, we're, you know, we're all going to read it and then you can give it to the world and we're all the world will be your friend as well. For sure. That's uh, good advice for anyone who hasn't even started writing there or who enjoys reading but sees it as an impenetrable world which is always nice and so many people around us have have that ethos um which is much nicer than the the stereotype of the precious writer that you maybe see in tv and movies the that that scoffs and feels the need to bury themselves away from the world and hide their ideas from others in fear of being robbed or etc it's much nicer to have a loose community of people who you have a shared interest with around you to to do things like write and talk about their books with one of one of my favorite things about the indie lit community that we've got here is is that people will if they write a book and i ask them to come talk to me about it they'll do it because it's it's a fun chat about art you know oh for sure and as you said about punk rock it is does feel like the uh, literary version of punk rock, which is great. For sure. I'm going to move on now. First, I'm, I'm going to ask you, do you have any favorite pieces in the in your book in Watertown? And if you do, would you be happy to read one or two or whatever um, towards the end of this podcast? If not, I'll edit that question out. But I think it would be great to have a, have a couple of bits um, in here so that people who have listened to this podcast who may not have purchased or been sent a copy of your book yet know what what to watch out for so yeah oh hell yeah i'll read you the whole book we'll just tack another hour onto this (laughs) fuck it it's short enough (laughs) i i I read it all in one morning today that's how much i love this book i i don't know i wanted to yeah i wanted to make a book that was like you know one of those easy breezy one day reads people always respect the long book more and i do but i I don't know. I like the uh, you get to go hang out with a friend, take a take a chill, take a chill ride around, kill a couple hours and you know, say your goodbyes. And that is, you know, maybe you get to hang out again sometime and see something different about them. But um, that's what I wanted to book the book to be. But no, I got a few pieces I'll read for you for sure. <laughs> Sorry, I was being an asshole. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. And and did you have did you have favorites? 
favorite stories or favorite poems that um you were most proud of or will those just be the ones that that you read later i have some favorites of mine but they're not the ones that so like my favorite one is actually the uh the u-haul truck poem towards the end but i like that because it's got so much like sound play in it and it's a pain in the ass to read so if i actually read it through Uh, Like I read it on stage one time at like an open mic reading and I was like, fuck yeah, I did it. I didn't stutter at all. And I was so (laughs) pumped about it. That's why I like that one. Just because it's, it almost feels like I was writing a rap song or something. So I was like, this is my favorite one in here. Other ones that I like, I like hell a lot, which you, um, I I really like hell. I think uh, I got that. That's one of my favorites too. Viggo Mortensen, Grown Up Soup. I don't know. I, I think uh, Viggo Mortensen is probably my favorite because it's the closest to uh, to jokiness and fun. Who is Viggo Mortensen? Oh man, uh, Lord of the Rings, Aragorn, Aragorn. What is oh, it? Oh fucking hell! The the king uh, at the Aragorn end? maybe. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Is he from Watertown? Yeah, it's it's weird because I had read um, I had read like a profile of him uh, several years ago, and. It said like he had he had gone to high school in Watertown, but then recently, like uh, a few weeks ago, I looked him up on Wikipedia, and it actually has Watertown listed as his hometown now, or it did then. So now I'm like, now I'm like, I don't know, like I don't know what to believe. But I mean, that's <laughs> that that goes. Is it autofiction? What what do we believe? So, <laughs> uh, and are Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart from Watertown as well? No, I just watched a lot of wrestling when I was a kid. So, <laughs> fair enough. Bret Hart's Canadian, so close enough. Other side of Canada, but <laughs> uh, yeah, Hell's a Hell's a really um a really deeply affecting one for me. I'll leave it at that because I don't want to ruin the the it's the it's the ending that ties it all together. And if I was to talk about it more, mm-hmm. it would um it would it would ruin it. But yeah, I re- I really felt connected to Hell. So let's move on to some more general questions. Actually, one more here. Do you have any plans for book two at the moment? And if not, are you working on anything else apart from... I mean, we were talking earlier, you were saying that you write stories as and when you feel like it. So I guess my question was, do you have any more concrete plans for, for work you might be releasing in the future? I had an idea. I was I was aiming to have it released around the same time as Watertown, but it's just it's not. Uh, I write at a glacial pace, so it's it'll probably be like a year from now or something. But it was it was a novella that is going to be the antithesis of what Watertown is. So if Watertown is nostalgia and sort of a, a celebration of that, or you know, kind of like giving into that nostalgia, because um, I think I think the speaker. He, even if there is sadness in the book, I think that the speakers of the stories and the narrators and, and whatnot, I think that they still give themselves over to this nostalgic ideas. So the antithesis of that is essentially a story that says your nostalgia is fucking bullshit. Like, look at you. So that's sort of, that's what I'm working on now, but it's a, it's a longer story and I want to, you know, I want to make sure it's right. And it's, um, like I said, I like I like non-action in my stories, but I'm, I'm also going the opposite and trying to make something that's a bit more, it's got a bit more action in it. Your comment on non-action, I think that's what gives your stories such a, such a really quiet feel to them. They exist, they have emotional weight to them, 
but that's not tied to the literary version of CGI or explosives or et cetera, et cetera. The work that you put out is is just people being people. It, it doesn't require larger than life, over the top caricatures or anything, which um, I think will resonate with a lot of people. It's, it seems to be people slowly sliding into bad decisions. And that's just that. A lot of the time in the book, people just slipping into bad habits, making bad decisions because they've always made bad decisions, as opposed to the kind of um, like taxi driver, the film or um, falling down where, you know, a guy wakes up after years and years of bullshit and snaps in a way that is violent and does wrong to to the society that they believe is wrong them your your work is more more as i said about people just doing as they've always done but as they've always done is is not helpful to them or anyone else around them every bad decision ends in a shrug exactly let's move on now to the towards the closing stages of the podcast sure. uh, i'd like to hear about some of the books and games and films or whatever you've you've been listening to consumed watched etc since the pandemic started and more recently uh just a more general talk about what you've been enjoying and not necessarily even if you've enjoyed it if you just watched something or read something recently that you had thoughts on and wanted to discuss them in case the audience had also had experience with it or to to give them more things to to check out so yeah i'll pass over to you i'd like to hear about the kind of media you've you've been exposed to for sure i can never seem to remember the things that i actually consume like when i consume something movies especially i i mean i i also go back and like rewatch a lot of old movies so in my mind i had this like i love jim jarmish as a filmmaker so that like he was definitely in my head a lot. Uh, Chantal Ackerman, who like her her movie News from Home, and not so much Gene Dealman, but they're very just sort of nihilistic. But there, there's a slice of life aspect to it. Um, Jim Jarmish is very. There's not a lot of action. You watch Down by Law, and there's there's a prison break without an actual prison break. It's like we're breaking out, and then the next scene they're already gone. Like they're running. <laughs> like and and Patterson is. Uh, uh, I think. 2016 is when Patterson came out. I've seen it four times since it came out. I've watched it within the past year for sure. That is one of my, if not my favorite movie. It's about a bus driving poet in Patterson, New Jersey. And it's so comforting to me. And as far as film, that's what what I've been into. As far as, I haven't watched a lot of movies because I work at home and my wife's working at home. So when we sign off from our computers, we just kind of want to like, chill on the couch together and kill an hour. Like if I'm, if I'm done working at 6 PM, I just want to, I just want to kill an hour in front of one more screen and that's it. So I've been watching a lot of TV. Kevin put me on a trailer park boys. Cause he's like, you like letter County, you like Canada shit. You got to watch trailer park boys. Trailer park boys is uh, definitely an influence for Watertown. Cause it's just dudes fucking up and living at living in their shitty lives. And at the end of the day, like they're still just, they're still bros and they're still friends. And they're still living in their shitty situation and there isn't really an aspiration to, I mean, there is an aspiration to get better and to be better, but they're always going to fail. And that's uh, the first seven seasons of Trailer Park Boys is uh, one of the greatest things that's ever um, been committed to the to the medium. That, that sounds really good. I'm going to have to check that out. 
I've been, I've looked at Trail of Heart Boys, but I've never brought myself to to watch it. So you've sold me on it. It's good. It's good. You gotta give it a few. It, they're they're like twenty three minute episodes, and I hate when someone says like give it a few episodes because you're asking me to commit so much of my life to something. But give it like two or three episodes. It's you know just under an hour and a half of your life, and if if you're not sold by then, probably not for you. But I loved it. Fell in love with it. So yeah, Trailer Park Boys I watched, and more recently, Joe Para Talks With You has been my wholesome escape from from reality um, to another reality where not much really happens. It's very uh, slice of life uh, comforting. Books, I, we really touched on the, the books we touched on were like, I read, right before I read Watertown was, uh, I had to look up my, my Goodreads. I mostly keep Goodreads now just to like maintain a running log of what I read because I read so much that I forget like when I read something, but yeah, Zach's 50 barn poems. Really good book. Um, yeah. Excellent book. Um, chainsaw poems by Giacomo Pope. Yep. Another great book. And, uh, 99 poems to 99 poems to cure what's wrong with you or create problems that you need. Um, by Sam Pink. That was a good, that that was one of the ones too, that, um, was like, Oh shit. Like you can just be casual with poetry. Like you don't have to do crazy, you know, like anaphoras and, what do they call them? Couplets and stuff. Because I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to like actually rhyme and meter. Yeah, exactly. Like wh- whatever the fuck that means. Right. So that I, it, it's an intimidating art form until you realize like, oh, it doesn't have to be like you can literally. It's just words on paper. You can make anything you want. For sure. For sure. Um, do you play? Do you play many video games? Oh, or any video games at all? No, I wish I did because a lot of them look really cool and. It's just like time consume. Well, it's money too. Like I, I'm, I've always been afraid of spending money. I think that's my problem. Um, I'm, I have a debt fear. Yep, same. My girlfriend's always busting my balls that I'm. I probably shouldn't say that. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll rephrase that. My girlfriend's always t- t- <laughs> telling me that uh, it is unhealthy for me at the level that I will try to avoid spending money on things that I don't, not necessarily don't value. I don't value at the price. So at the price point, so I'll only ever buy games when they're on sale. I'll pirate movies whenever I can. I won't spend money on extra furniture. I my wardrobe is full of clothes that have lasted me since twenty sixteen. I'm exactly the same. Yeah, I I I have a running uniform. It's a it's a plain t shirt and jeans. That's it. <laughs> jeans. Jeans. Wow, you're worse than me. Yeah, it's, I I started. I'm trying to switch it up now because I. Like I have the uh, I have the professional job or the the corporate job as it were. So um, I do have a few. I, I have some slacks that uh, that I've added into it. Yeah, due to the quarantine, I've put on a bit of weight around my waist, and that's that's never been me. I've always been stick thin, but over the last year or so, a mix of being sat down all the time, eating junk because there's not much else to do, and uh, a new set of tablets that I've started that's supposed to make you put on weight. I've added something like five or six inches to my waist, which meant I immediately grow up. Like one day I fit into all my trousers, the next day I didn't. And I had one large pair of like, I don't know if you have Primark in, in America, but it's just where you go to get cheap bulk buy clothing that fits okay and isn't uncomfortable. I had one pair of large, uh, large black jogging bottoms or sweatpants as you'd call them over there and um turns out they're the only thing that fit me now so for the last month and a half while i wait to uh 
get paid for my new job i've just been wearing these joggers pr- practically every day and just having to wash them like every four days just to make sure that my legs don't uh accidentally just like stink everywhere i go they don't get like suctioned to the sweatpants and you can't remove them forever yeah exactly oh exactly you're gonna love trailer park boys <laughs> it's uh, this is this is not the life i did i pictured for myself when i graduated i'll tell you that oh uh, it happens there well dan i've got one more question for you and then uh we'll get to uh you reading for us and then i'll let you get on with your day because it's getting quite late here and i'm mm-hmm. aware we've been running for a while and my question is a question i've been asking every guest uh i've had on the podcast so far I'm hoping to compile a list of the answers to these questions and do something creative with it. What that is, I'm not sure, but we'll we'll get there eventually. Um, have you had a chance to think about your answer for this question? Um, hopefully you have. What What's your favourite dead dog in the media? Either a dog that dies on screen, a dog that dies within a book, or a dog that was on TV or film in the 70s, 80s, 90s, etc. and has since died due to old age or anything like that. Probably Airbud, man. Dog playing basketball, but guarantee he's dead now. So you, you, as talented as he was, it comes for us all. He couldn't escape. <laughs> <laughs> Airbud, what do, what does Airbud come from? Airbud is the uh, he's the the golden retriever that plays basketball in the movie Airbud. And uh, I think, amazing. I think it came out in the. Uh, I don't remember when it came out, but without a doubt, that dog's gone. Like he's he's food for the earth now. Like I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what kind of jump shot you had. You're eating it. Three points right into heaven. R.I.P. That's right. He, he he's yeah. joining the um the MVP team up in heaven along with uh kobe bryant and lola bunny the previous design for lola bunny um that's right that's right he's dribbling with the angels now yeah uh, (laughs) r.i.p r.i.p airbud gone but never forgotten uh yeah perfect thanks mate okay finally have you got a copy of your your book to hand there dan oh i I wrote a book oh oh god yeah sorry sorry am i talking to can you put Dan on for me, please? Uh, I think I think I might be. Uh, yeah, I um, I have a copy. Yeah, I got a couple things I I can read um, for you. Sorry, I'm I'm being a douchebag. That's allowed. Don't worry. I, in fact, it's um, it's encouraged on this podcast. Yeah, I, I got a few things that I can read. Um, I think I'm going to read Hell and Viggo Mortensen. Okay, so this is Hell. I don't think it's really all fire and pain, like they say think everyone's got their own thing coming. I don't know. My version of hell? Well, my dick's still there. Sun's shining over the lake. Tempt to comfy, comfy 75 during the day, but drops a cool 60 at night. We build bonfires out of dry branches when the sun goes down. Everyone I've ever loved is with me. Every friend, hell, even some enemies too. We take the boat out sometimes or we just sit back in Adirondack chairs. We drink, but we never get drunk cheap beer and an endless cooler we're forever in that sweet spot right after the first or second drink when your belly gets warm and you can talk about anything sleep is optional night comes we share a furnished cabin with those green 70s countertops and pine needles in the carpet someone always plays half a decent guitar we circle the fire and listen to owls and the hush rippling of the shore 
A column of smoke reaches to the stars, and all of our secrets are carried away and dissolved. Still, in spite of the eternal beauty of earthly nature and leisure at our disposal, none of us can escape the unspoken feeling that this is not enough. All right. That is hell. That's my hell. And here is Viggo Mortensen. Vigo Mortensen went to high school in Watertown, and sometimes he comes back, so all my friends have Vigo stories. My friend Sam saw Vigo getting gas at Burn Dairy. Ryan saw Vigo working out at the Y. I've never seen Vigo, but it occurs to me that I can just say I did. No one would ever doubt me. My friends and I were at the bar, the one owned by the mayor, when I decided to tell them I saw Vigo Mortensen. Only I was thinking about the movie Eastern Promises when I said, I saw Viggo Mortensen's balls. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you, Dan. And uh, thanks for joining me today. It's been a lot of fun. I, I really appreciate your time and your friendship in general. So, yeah, uh, thanks a bunch. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. It's been my pleasure. Before we round this out, do you want to tell people where they can find you, where they can find your book when it comes out, et cetera, et cetera? Um, you, can, you can find me at Twitter at Daniel underscore underscore Eastman. I uh, couldn't make it easy. I'm on Instagram at Dan Eastman. If you want to follow me there and look at pictures of my dogs. And you can find my book at backpatio.press. You should also read everything on the website and buy all of their other books uh, because they are fantastic. I agree, definitely. And your dogs are great as well, for sure. Some of the ugliest yet most beautiful dogs I've ever seen. Oh, don't let my wife hear that. (laughs) I'm trying my best. They are her babies. I'll tell her to. I'll tell her not to listen to the last thirty seconds. That that's allowed. (laughs) Uh, Well, thanks, man. This is this has been real. before I cut off and let you get on with your day, have you got anything else you'd like to add? Uh, no, I, I, I appreciate it. I love your podcast. You have um, a great voice for, um, for something like this, and you are a conscientious uh, interviewer. I, I think you've, you've got a great thing going here, James. And eventually, you've got to get someone to flip the table on you and interview you. But um, but otherwise, yeah, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Those are some kind words, and I'm going to leave them in because why not? <laughs> On that note, Dan, thanks so much for your time, and thanks everyone for listening. This has been uh, Imagination Land, Friend to Friend, Episode Five. Take care.